0: What is agriculture? Do they really use antibiotics? Why are tractors so big? Is organic really better? Why do they use chemicals? Does chocolate milk come from brown cows? Why don't we all just eat local? Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Ag4U podcast with me, your host, Dustin Bartlett. This episode is part 2 of the What the GMO series, but I wanted to really quick just kind of give an update on everything that's going on. Um, this podcast actually has taken a little bit longer for me to get to because I started calving this uh, last week and... Uh, first uh, couple of nights didn't go as well as I was hoping for during calving season, uh, but I think everything will turn around and eventually uh, I'll get all my calves on the ground and we'll be on the way. Uh, I do wish that Mother Nature would be giving us a little bit better weather. It's just as muddy as it was last fall. I'm kind of getting sick of the mud. The other day it was actually sunny and dry, a combination that really we haven't had at all. And... That uh, was something that I wasn't used to and I kind of wanted to uh, bottle that up and and sell it because it was was a good feeling. Anyways, this podcast is part two of the What the GMO series that I started in the last episode. And in that first episode, the reason I wanted to break this into two different parts is that GMOs are, are very hard to understand. And for me to talk about, explain what a GMO is and then why we use it in one episode It would have been a long episode, and again, I'm trying to keep these episodes in that 15 to 20-minute range. So I decided to break it up, and I feel like that was a really good thing, because I explained in that first episode what a GMO is. And if you don't remember what I said in that, and you don't want to go back and listen to my voice again in that episode, um, basically, a GMO is taking a gene from a living organism... And putting it into another living organism or a living thing and putting it into another living thing. And genetic engineering, which is what everyone thinks of as G- GMO, is actually a branch off of genetic modification, which has been done for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. You know, I have a chart up here right now that I'm looking at, but the first genetic modification was done in crops tens of thousands of years ago and as you go through the years you see things that uh, scientists start crossbreeding different plants between species and then researchers start to introduce genetic variation into gene pools then you get to the 1990s and that's where GMOs in agriculture really were introduced that's where I wanted to kick this episode off when were GMOs introduced What were they introduced for? What are we using them for? What could we potentially use them for? And then even maybe going over some things on looking at the other side of it and why people are worried about it. But first, let's look at GMOs used in agriculture. Currently, there are 18 crops that are some type of GMO. Um, There's a lot of different ones. And instead of going through the whole list, I'm going to pick out some of the main ones. But uh, corn, cotton, soybeans, potatoes, tomatoes, alfalfa, rice, apples, cantaloupe, uh, squash, papaya are to me some of the main ones that people probably consume on a pretty regular basis. And I will probably mostly just talk about corn, cotton, and soybeans, but some of those other fruits and vegetables that are GMO are actually for good reasons because. If you look at the waste that we have in this country due to stockpiles of food that we do definitely need, some of these GMOs are actually used to help prolong the livelihood of that food without using some type of chemical to preserve it. And I know if anyone has seen the the new campaign out by Burger King where they think that a moldy burger is going to sell more burgers um, that's, they're, they're targeting the preservative market. Uh, there's stories, everywhere different variations that I've heard, but you know, some scientist or some person has a McDonald's cheeseburger that they bought 20 years ago. That looks exactly like it did the day they bought it. And so they're really trying to say that preservatives are bad. And one thing that we can do is use GMOs to help prolong the freshness of food by finding, genes in certain plants that seem to last longer and inserting them into plants that don't last as long and don't stay as fresh. And we'll talk about that towards the end of this episode when I talk about where are things going with GMOs and how can they truly help. But to stick to just one or two examples of GMOs, I want to talk about corn and soybeans mainly because those are the ones that really get most attention in the media. So when did GMOs actually become a big thing in agriculture is kind of a a big timeline gap. Um, In the 1990s is when agriculture first really started to use GMOs and introduce them in the marketplace. But they actually were found out how to do uh, back in the 1980s when researchers learned how to, to copy genes, how to take a gene from something And put it into another thing and and have that cross between two organisms in, in that way. It wasn't until 1996, though, when corn, GMO corn, genetically modified, genetically engineered corn, became commercially available in the United States. And this was a huge turning point in agriculture. The first genetically modified corn that was available was BT corn. BT stands for Bacillus thuringiensis, which is a naturally occurring soil bacteria that was first discovered by a Japanese scientist in 1901 to basically create a natural insecticide that once eaten by certain bugs, especially caterpillars, would cause death once it was ingested. So it created this toxin that basically bugs and insects could not take. And so people started actually using this by spraying it onto their crop because um, in the 1980s, a lot of synthetic pesticides really were becoming, bugs were becoming resistant to it. So this allowed them to have something that was natural. That was about the time when genetic modification was starting to come about. And in my head, I have a, you know, some crazy scientists said, well, what if we just put this bacteria in the corn and then do it that way. And and that's probably not how it happened, but that's basically, you know, what we have now is the BT, the, the gene from the BT bacteria was taken out of it and put into corn and put into potatoes and soybeans and other crops to make them create that toxicity so that bugs wouldn't eat them. The, the interesting thing to me is that Bt, you would think that, you know, now it's a GMO, we, no one else uses it um, besides those who grow that those types of crop. But the interesting thing is that organic growers still use Bt. They just spray it on everything. Instead of having it naturally occurring in the plant, it's in a solution and they spray it all over their corn or their crops or vegetables, and then it keeps the bugs away. And it does a very good job. It is a extremely good insecticide, natural insecticide. The only problem is that when you put it on the leaf surface, if it rains, if it gets prolonged sunlight, it will degrade and then it doesn't work as well. So then they have to keep reapplying it. They have to keep spraying it directly onto the plant over and over and over until you are able to harvest it. But by genetically engineering a cropped you have this bacteria BT this trait in it makes it so you don't have to so they don't have to go out and spray the corn or the soybeans over and over again. This is one case where using a trait, a natural trait from one organism into another, is a way to cut down on pesticide use. Now I will say that there is not always A positive outcome to everything. While this does a very good job, this BT trait does a very good job of keeping unwanted organisms off of uh, corn and soybeans and crops. You know there there are other insects who are affected by this. It's not a only targets one thing or only targets uh, another thing. So there definitely is a case to be made that if there is pollen from the corn that is put onto something else, could that have an effect on it. To me, you're going to get that same thing when you're spraying this bacteria through the air um, in a solution, or if a bug lands on it, that you say a butterfly lands on something uh, in the organic world that was sprayed with this BT, they're probably going to have the same outcome. You know, there is give and take to it. Um, that's something that I can definitely uh, understand and agree with. But to me, it's something that This BT trait has been very important to agriculture. The next big step that GMOs had in agriculture was helping with the control of weeds. See, up until the 1990s, weed control was definitely somewhat of a science. You needed to know a ton of different chemicals and how to mix them in different times. And you would go out and spray chemicals all season to try and control weeds because Weeds cost you a lot of money in agriculture by stealing nutrients and water and sunlight from the crops that need it. So in 1996, the first genetically engineered crop was a soybean that was able to use Roundup directly on it. For those of you who don't know much about Roundup, Roundup is a non-selective herbicide, which means it does not care what type of plant you are. It is going to take you out no matter what. So soybeans are very susceptible to it. But with the help of a little bit of luck, there was a company already working on creating a Roundup-ready crop. They actually found a bacteria near the plant that they were making Roundup that was actually resistant to it. So when they found that bacteria, they were able to isolate the gene that was making that not susceptible to Roundup, and they were able to put that into a soybean plant. And That is when the first Roundup Ready soybeans were developed. And that was in 1996. And it wasn't put into corn until 1998 when they did basically the same thing and then went through all the testing that needed to be done. At that point, before Roundup Ready crops were, like I said, farmers were having to use a lot of different herbicides and different chemicals to control the weeds, or they were having to do a lot of tillage to control weeds as well. Because another thing that weeds can't survive is metal. If you take a piece of tillage equipment through a field and there's weeds in there, Uh, if you bury it or rip them up, they're not going to survive it. The negative side of tillage is that you're turning that ground over. You're not letting the natural organisms and the natural structure of the soil flourish. Not only is the development of a Roundup Ready soybean helping with using less herbicides and less chemicals, but it's also helping with tillage and keeping a good soil health. So to me, now with GMO crops, we are using BT traits to limit the amount of insecticides that we need to use. We are limiting the use of herbicides and we are limiting the use of tillage, which is keeping better soil health. So while many may think that GMOs have hurt the environment in some way or another, it's actually the opposite. GMOs have had taken three different things and flipped them on their head in agriculture and allowed farmers to create a very good crop using less insecticide, less herbicides, and less tillage. Now Roundup isn't necessarily being used anymore because weeds have drawn a tolerance to it and that is definitely caused because it works so well that people were using less and less and less and it was still working kind of like when you see on the bottle of hand sanitizer that kills 99.9% of germs. Um, if, if you only kill 99% of the weeds in a field, you're going to have one weed that is going to, some reason was susceptible to it. And you're going to take that weed and it's going to create seeds and produce more based off of how many seeds it has. And it's going to be a new generation, new offspring of plants that are resistant to Roundup. So now we're on to creating herbicide resistant plants that are resistant to dicamba and 2,4-D and a lot of these other things. But just know that behind it all, genetic modification has taken our use of herbicides and dramatically lowered them, which is, in my opinion, a good thing. Now GMOs have not only helped agriculture, they've also helped the medical field in many different ways. Actually, before there was genetically engineered crops, there was a different genetically modified organism that was approved for human use, and that is insulin. Yes, insulin is a GMO. Now I'm I'm hoping that there isn't a bunch of people who are against GMOs who are on insulin who are now going to get off of insulin because that would not be a good thing. But GMOs are not only used in insulin, they're used in over a hundred different drugs and medicines that are taken every single day in this country. Vaccines are probably the biggest use of GMOs in the medical industry. What a vaccine is doing is taking a small part of a virus and inserting it into your body to let your body build up a natural immunity to it. It basically learn how to fight off that virus and that disease. And so If you're able to copy and paste genes from a virus, put it into something else, you can study them. You can then learn how to take them and put them into something that we can inject into our bodies to to help ward these off. A couple of the biggest examples was Ebola, uh, Zika, and the flu vaccine are all examples of genetically modified vaccines and medicines. And right now, currently, there is Talk of the coronavirus, and it is getting worse in this country every single day. And the big thing they want to do is create a vaccine to be able to stop it or help people become immune to it. And so they're using GMOs, the molecular biology tools that agriculture uses, to help come up with these different types of medicines. So when we look in the future of GMOs and how they're going to help not only medicine but agriculture as well there's an unlimited potential of things that could happen. You know, in agriculture, one of the biggest things is that in third world countries, there is not a lot of food because a lot of the time, agriculture is not able to thrive in some of the conditions that are there. So if you're able to help crops yield more so that we don't have to ship other countries more food, they can grow it for themselves, that's going to be a benefit to them. Or if you're able to take certain types of rice and different grains and make them more nutritious, you can help them thrive as a society. There's a lot of things that could definitely be beneficial that we haven't even thought of yet. You know, what if we took out different allergens in peanuts to allow people who have that allergy to then eat peanuts? These are all positives that GMOs could have around the world. So why are people scared of GMOs? It's something that I ask myself all the time. When there's so many benefits to them, part of it, I think that a lot of people don't know what GMOs are and how they're used. And I I hope that at least I, I help somebody understand a little bit of what GMOs and how they are used, because I think one of the biggest things is that there's just a lot of unknowns for people when it comes to GMOs. But one thing that I could definitely say for certain is that any type of crop that is genetically modified has gone through a lot of testing. These type of crops get tested and tested and tested and tested before they even come close to coming to the market. You know, we've got over 20 some, 30 years of GMOs in the marketplace. And so there's been a lot of research done on it. One of the biggest research projects into GMOs actually came out in 2016. It was the National Academias of Science, Engineering and Medicine Committee that released their genetically engineered crops report which studied genetically engineered crops with over 20 years of data, including 900 different studies and tests in Europe and North America. And the committee found that there was no differences in the risk of human health from eating genetically engineered foods from their counterparts that were non-genetically engineered. And this was a very long report and it was done by a well-known committee in the science community. And they used a lot of data. And that's the biggest thing is that you know a lot of these claims that GMOs are bad there's no data behind them and so this I will probably find the actual report post a link on my Facebook page for anyone to read if they want to to make sure that people understand that you know there is some studies and things that have shown that they are healthy and they they don't have any adverse health effects so I want to end by going over my top five reasons why GMOs are a good thing so number one They reduce pesticide use in agriculture. Number two, they can make foods more nutritious. You know, tomatoes with higher nutrients, golden rice that is vitamin A enriched to help with vitamin A deficiencies in certain countries. Number three, GMOs are tested for safety and allergen potential. They are actually tested more than any other foods on the market. Number four, they are best bet to adopt. If there is a global climate change, we can use them to make crops that are drought tolerant, that are able to withstand lack of water or in the last couple of years, the abundance of water, I would hope, because if that's our new norm, we've got something else to worry about. And then number five, they help farmers keep the cost down so that food that we buy at the grocery store is less expensive. Uh, studies have actually shown that foods that are labeled non-GMO are actually thirty-five percent higher in cost than foods that are not labeled non-GMO. Those are my top five reasons, and there's many, many more reasons why they're a good thing. And there's actually probably a lot of more things that I could have covered in this episode on some of the future benefits from them. But just remember that GMOs are not just in agriculture but they are also used in medicines every single day. So we are definitely over my 15 to 20 minute time frame that I wanted this episode to be, but I think we covered a lot of things and I I may have breezed through some stuff. So if anyone ever has any questions, feel free to reach out, ask me to clarify something, start a conversation. That's truly what I want this podcast to do is start an actual conversation about some of these topics. And I'm guessing that I will probably have more GMO episodes throughout this podcast, but I think this is a really good start into what GMOs are and why we use them. So remember, ag is for you. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. I really do appreciate it. I hope you've had a chance to go over to the new ag for You Facebook page and like it. That's where I'm going to be coming out with all the new episodes, posting links on interesting stories, and uh, having all topics uh, regarding agriculture. So thanks again for listening. I really do appreciate it.